Good morning. Well, morning for me at least. And welcome to the next podcast. See, I told you I was going to try to get these out every couple weeks now. Yeah, don't be banking on that. So today is just me. So feel free to shut her down right now. No, um, I've got a request to answer a question. And by all means, send your questions in. If you have the question, there's a good chance other people in the community probably have the question as well. So the question that came up to me that was uh, sent in is, Hi, I'm part of a small company, Hair Mountain Rescue, that teaches swift water rescue and rope rescue. Our goal is to stay as current on techniques and practices as possible. I'm also a career fire department where change happens slow, if ever. The two environments are complete opposites at times. I personally would love to hear the pros cons of change. When does it become warranted justified to change our rope rescue practices within professional rescue services such as career fire departments? My career department still uses tension main, untension belay. Furthermore, we still use a descent device called the Alp by an old UK company named Troll, which is which I believe was designed in the mid 1990s. So, I think this is a common question that's out there with a lot of people is, do we do change for the sake of change? I mean, there's that old adage about the fire department where, you know, 200 years of tradition unimpeded by change. The military had something similar. The only thing that's permanent is change. Um, So, you know, you get these things that kind of contradict each other there, but yeah, change in the fire service. It's always seems to be a little bit slow. And because the fire service, I think, my opinion, makes up a large percentage of that professional rescue, it does leak over into the professional rescue realm that change becomes slow there as well. There's a few other organizations that do make up professional rescue. For instance, search and rescue. I know search and rescue, at least in the province where I live, is run by the government, it's run by the province. And if you think the fire department is slow to adapt change, well, the province is even slower. So yeah, there's certainly this piece here that it doesn't seem to be moving on at all. Um, You know, there's no change at all occurring in a lot of people's minds. So I'm going to kind of go through the history of where I came from with stuff. And then I'm going to talk specifically about some change and reasons for change. Now, change management's a huge topic. You can go to school and get a degree in, you know, business or marketing and talk specifically about change management. That's not what this is. This is going to be somewhat specific to the fire service, to the rescue industry, and we'll go from there. So I started doing rescue a little bit with the military back in like your basic mountain operations type courses. You know, we had used mountain coils and put people onto our back and try to rappel down. And at that point it was like, hey, don't use the double wrap around a steel carabiner. You might want to use a device when you've got that kind of weight on your back. But the devices still back then were things like eights and whatnot. You just rig them a certain way to get more friction. Um, there was still no whistle stop or devices like that had those types of whistle stops in there. When I got into the fire service, we were predominantly using that rescue eight, the eight with horns, and a munter. And so, you I mean, you look at that device, very similar to the military. The military didn't have a backup device. So no munter. And you can certainly have a conversation about having a rescue load on a munter 
not really being a backup device at all either. So the question there is, why did we change from, you know, that Rescue 8 and the Munter to the next thing? Well, there was no whistle stop with the Munter. If we let it go, or sorry, uh, the Munter, the uh, Rescue 8, you let it go, package hit the ground. Well, the package hit the safety, which was the Munter. There's been a lot of testing out there of that uh, single Munter will not stop a rescue size load. So in reality, the person running the main system, letting go of the system, getting stung by a bee, knocked by a rock, having a medical condition, having a bad day, let's go of that main load. There is no secondary type of stop device there and the safety is inadequate to actually capture the load, which plummets the entire package to the ground. Why change at that point? Obviously safety is a huge thing. We're running a system that has a single point of failure on it being that main operator. So we changed. From there, we went to racks and then the tandem Prusik belay and eventually went from the tandem Prusik belay back and forth with the old 540. We changed away from those as well over a few years. Why? Predominantly, I mean, the rack's still around today. It's a fairly easy device to rig. If you rig it wrong, it just doesn't rig. Once again, there is really no whistle stop with it. Nowadays, we have a tendency to put a prusik either in front or behind, depending on the camp you come from. Um, but certainly, uh, the latest from at least where we are is to have the prusiks in behind things like a rack or a scarab um, so that the tightening of the rope does not interfere, that tension on the rope does not interfere with the uh, prussics capturing the load. But back in the day, we're talking now, I mean, I've been doing firefighting for just over a quarter century now, so we're going back a couple years here. Um, the racks were used independently. We didn't have prussics around them. And so a lot of this was user error. We're back to a single redundancy point. The tandem Prusik belay absolutely could catch a load. The 540 absolutely could catch a load. But these required people to understand how to use them. Rescue, I mean, we've just kind of got a, you know, a rescue truck in on our fire department recently, uh, 2019. Before that, I mean, it still is a tertiary duty. That truck does a lot of things outside of rope rescue, but it was even more of a tertiary duty in the late 90s, the era of which I'm speaking of here. And the 540 doesn't work really well without training. I think everybody that's out there that's played with the 540 over the years will agree with that. And so what we ended up having occurring was Basically, people not being on belay or not being on a safety. The way the, the 540 was being run, we were back to, if something happens to that operator on the rack, not being, you know, that whistle stop style device, hitting the head, bad day, whatever, let's go of that rack, rope starts running. The way the 540s were being managed because of you, pure user error, we probably wouldn't have stopped anybody. Um, the other issue we had, and this was a traditionally dedicated main, dedicated safety issue. We have a port in my first due district or in our districts. And the top of the tower cranes are between three to 330 feet, depending on whether you're up in the crow's nest or, you know, the way the gantry is rigged at that particular moment. 
all of us that have played with long lowers on dedicated main dedicated safety systems, especially with either a 540 or tandem prussics, will know that with a tandem prussics, you do get quite the belay, <laughs> belly of rope in the belay there. A lot of times that belly of rope is lower than the packaging's feet going down, which is going to cause a fair drop should that main line have an issue. Same with the 540. The way people were operating the 540 when we started getting those larger rope weights on them, instead of adding in some sort of directional or friction carabiner in order to pick up some of that, they were basically just holding the handle open and letting her run, which once again puts us back into the exact same scenario the previous one I spoke of with your Rescue 8 and your Munter, single Munter. We're in a point where we don't have an active belay or safety line on there that's going to engage and stop someone without causing some serious damage. So that wasn't so much just a plain safety issue. There was some user error in there as well with simplicity. So it was changed. Went in from there to the ID. Still we're running either a tandem Prusik belay or a 540. So all we really did was, and it was a safety improvement. We've taken the rack, and I mean, this is a very subjective comment, safety improvement, but we've put it to a device being the ID that is hard to rig backwards. It generally locks up when we're doing, and we're talking the 12.5 IDs here. We're going back a few years. It's, you know, had panic features on it where, you know, you cranked it all the way over. Obviously, it stopped, and if you let it go, it stopped. So we took that safety concern, and I use some pretty serious air quotes around that safety concern, out of the main device, that whistle stop, that panic stop, and added it in that the rack didn't come with. But our safeties, our belay lines, were still being run with systems that by all means could certainly catch a load should it be employed properly. But once again, this tertiary duty people only touching this once in a while, you'd end up on a call, someone would just assign, oh, well, you can run safety, it should be pretty easy, just you know, pull that handle on the 540 and let it run sort of thing. And so we weren't running safeties in reality anymore, again. So from there we changed to MPD and the TTRS. So now we're into a true twin tension rope system had the multi-purpose devices we started on 12.5 with that and over the course of time moved to 11 and I want to say we moved to 11 maybe seven years ago so we probably went to MPDs on TTRS on 12.5 somewhere 10-12 years ago maybe maybe further than that I mean at this point I'm a bit guessing and this is strictly from the fire department point of view and that, that's run us for a long, long stead, obviously. Um, you know, probably mid-2000s, like I say, we went to the MPD, Twin Tension Rope Systems. That solved a lot of these problems. Why? So why the change there? We got away from that particular problem with the safety. And I think that problem with the safety is a lot to do with why changes occurred on this. And it's not a permanent change in the sense that there's still applications we do where we run a safety. You send a rescuer over the edge, they're rappelling down, they have an ASAP or something or a backup or whatever on their backup 
line, we're back into dedicated main, dedicated safety. We do confined space rescue. We're back usually into dedicated main, dedicated safety. But those are to mitigate other concerns that are there why we're not using TTRS. So, but generally in the rope rescue realm, that's why we moved from that rack and whether it had been 540 or Tandem Prussic Belay, and that was really dependent on the instructor of the day, which was another issue because you weren't getting standardized training across the board, to MPD on TTRS. The MPD, good device, we did find that some people, after a course of time, had problems with rigging it. It became confusing for people to rig if they hadn't touched it in a long time. Once again, not a device failure, a human failure. However, that's why we're putting redundancies into systems is because of human failures. There's a lot of times we would leave them pre-rigged in the bag and the person that pulled them out and inspected them would look and go, hey, it's rigged backwards. Or we'd have rope coming out of the hood, as I would call it, um, there's that little piece of the MPD that comes over when you're looking at it, I believe it's on the right-hand side. I don't have one in front of me. And a lot of times when you swivel that plate to put the rope in, that rope creeps up. And when you close it, it gets pinched up in that little, that little hood area, as I call it. And you have rope coming out of there. And I've seen that on plenty of times where people have tried to operate it. And they wonder why they have so much friction is because they're basically dragging rope out of that little hole that really shouldn't even have rope in it. It's amazing we can get rope in there. So from that point of view, we moved to the clutch. We moved to the clutch, bought our first ones in 2020 and the rest of them in 2021, just broke them up over budget years. So now our entire system's 11 mil on clutch with twin tension rope systems for rope. And that's, like I say, predominantly for large lowers, long lowers, things like that. We're still obviously repelling in, we're just doing confined space work which also does in the fire department for us create a non-TTRS system so that's you know 10 minutes kind of of the progression that we went through in our fire department and why we did it so to get kind of specifically now into change change allows us to move forward in life and experience new and exciting things that's a quote I ripped it off from somewhere I don't remember where right now if it's yours I give you all credit for it and I mean, we look at this in the fire service. I haven't been around the fire service a great length of time. Some people think maybe probably too long, but not a great length of time in the overall view of the fire service. When I started, we did not wear air packs for dumpster fires. We did not wear air packs for car fires. We did not use second hose lines for car fires. Backup lines for, you know, protecting the attack team were a rare thing. I could go on and on and on. I mean, I had my first set of turnout gear, I think for 10 years. When my crotch was hanging out through the ripped holes through the liners, they decided it was probably time to replace them. Now we have tracking programs in 1851 and all this stuff. Why? Because we've had change in the fire service. And why have those changes occurred? Predominantly because of new techniques and safety. Make the job easier, help the people out faster, make it safer for the members. Change also allows you to learn something new. It teaches you something new. Learning, especially in an emergency service, fire service, SAR, rope access, if you're listening to it, allows you to learn something new. It keeps your brain moving. It starts to move you into the route of principle-based learning versus prescriptive learning. 
And how I break those down is, you know, prescriptive being, I am told you will do X, Y, Z. Principles being, this is the principle of what you want to accomplish. Figure out how to do it. If you don't use X, Y, Z and you use ABC, as long as the principles are maintained, happy move along. And I certainly think in items like rescue, principle-based learning is where we need to go. Why? Because it makes you more flexible. And it makes you more flexible. And we look at this and go, what are we doing in rope, confined space, water, trench, whatever you want to call it. We're solving problems using technical rescue skills. I need to move a package from A to B with rope over top of, you know, sharks with laser beams and lava pits and all this stuff. And I'm solving that problem. How do I learn to solve that problem? By giving myself more tools in that toolbox. How do I do that? Via experience, makes me more flexible. I need to change. I need to learn new things to do that. So yeah, finally, it's these new ideas and tactics. You know, it's what you need to learn. Everything's used slightly different. And sometimes one solution works well in one scenario and it doesn't in the other. And that's where we figure it out. So there's two types of changes that are kind of listed out there. Adaptive changes and transformational changes. And I'm going down a bit of a wormhole here, but bear with me. Adaptive changes are small, gradual, iterative changes that an organized un organization undertakes to evolve its products, processes, workflows, and strategies over time. Hiring a new team member to address increased demand or implementing a new work-from-home policy to attract more qualified job applicants are both examples of adaptive changes. So from a fire service point of view, this is when you look at things like small gradual changes that an organization undertakes to evolve its products. We don't really have products, but processes and workflows, strategies, we certainly have. So, I mean, take some of that business speak and apply it to what we're doing in the fire service, you know. So, like he says here, hiring a new team member to address increased demand. Absolutely. We see that. We go, hey, we want to put a rescue company and we need to hire you know, an X number of firefighters to staff that. We need to promote people. We need to, you know, change up the way we train these people. But generally, that occurs over budget periods. I just said, hey, we bought some clutches. We put some in in 2020. We put some in in 2021. Why? Because it's a budget thing. That's an adaptive change. It's a small, gradual change in order to evolve a workflow and a strategy over the course of time. We took MPDs, great device. Like I said, we had some problems with people rigging them. So we needed to make that adaptive change. We did it over a two-year period and we changed our workflow and we changed our strategies in the way that we do rope rescue. The other one being transformational changes. These are larger in scale and scope and often signify a dramatic and occasional sudden departure from the static quo. From a business point of view, launching a new product or business division or deciding to expand internationally are examples of transformational change. So you go back to, like you say, we bring a rescue truck on. There's certainly some adaptive change to that. There's changes to the system that have to occur. But generally, that's a transformational change. We're going from doing rescue off the corner of a desk to making it a frontline service that has a response and running order with it. Now that's a large scale scope change and it signifies, you know, 
a dramatic departure from what we did previously. We added trench to that. We put heavy jaws on that truck. So it was things that either weren't being done or were being done slightly. So when you look at that from a rope rescue point of view, we were doing rope rescue. We had a trailer, it was hooked up to a truck. It had a response. So that may be more of an adaptive change for the rope rescue to go to a bigger rescue truck that's you know staffed. However, the rest of it, putting in the trench, putting in heavy auto X and these types of things on there would be strictly transformational. We've changed the way the fire department is responding to those incidents from not responding at all to now responding. So adaptive and transformational change. So the question here is, so why change? Why would we even bother doing these things? First and foremost, we hit the nail on the head here a ton, safety. We started out using devices that we basically were in a non-redundant system. The man or woman running the main line takes a beanie in the head, whatever, bad day, bee sting, falls asleep at the wheel, and the next thing you know, our belays aren't catching and we're hitting the deck. We made those changes strictly for safety of our members. That pushes a lot of change in the fire service. What I don't want people to go though, though and do is make safety issues out of things that aren't safety issues. That's a surefire way to piss people off up and down the chain of command and then have your change stalled because of pushback from your chain of command. And that's not just the fire service, that's rescue, that's SAR, that's working for a company with rope access. People are, you know, generally smart in the industry. People have worked here for a while. They can understand when you're trying to snow job them, basically. But if it's a true safety problem, then address it as a safety problem, especially if it's a regulatory problem. A uh, big one of this in the fire service was the two-in, two-out rule. It became a regulatory law in British Columbia. We have to have within 10 minutes a writ team. Like these things were the safety of our members. They became regulatory. Change was, you know, done. So one of the other reasons for change. Ease of or standardization of training. Fire service, rescue, rope access, any of these things. I mean, rope access a little less, but, you know, even when you're doing things, we went and did a bridge job and Deronin for rope access, had to basically horizontal a bridge, put in lines so that we could put inspectors on there so they could walk it. And we were going out across the cross members and the peers and this sort of stuff. We were rigged up to different points and what have you. But we did a uh, training session before that. Why do we do a training session before that? Because it's a change from the regular kind of up and down. You know, you throw in the odd re-anchor, maybe a deviation. We're doing a thousand feet of pure horizontal on this. It's a change. I mean, it's well within the scope of what we're supposed to know as rope access technicians, but it's a kind of a change from the day to day. So we do a little bit of training on it so that we understand what we're doing. I mean, larger, when you look at things like, you know, search and rescue, or fire service rescue, or private industrial rescue. A lot of times these are tertiary tasks. Most SAR is volunteer, fire and industrial rescue. Rescue a lot of times is a tertiary task. So to find systems, processes, devices that allow for ease of training and standardization of training across, you know, multi, you know, um, 
ABC refinery and I have 15 refineries across North America and I would like all my refineries to be on the same page because then it, you know, I can start to get some cost efficiencies in buying equipment and training my staff or things like this. So there's that particular reason for change. Another reason for change is your mission profile changes. So you're a search and rescue team and all of a sudden you get your boundaries expanded and you get some mountain area inside of your search and rescue um, AOR or you're a fire department and you know, ABC company comes in and builds a refinery in the middle of your city or puts a port out there and builds the port. And all of a sudden now, you've got larger structures to deal with. You get a bridge put in, happened between Surrey and Coquitlam when they redid the Portman Bridge. You're talking of, you know, when it was being built and there was no decking on it, I think the longest lower would have been 660 feet. That's a change to the mission profile that you as a fire department were previously dealing with. Maybe your longest lowers before that were 300. Well, all of a sudden now we have to make sure our devices can do a 660 foot lower. That we have something to lower into. And that may then, you know, certainly I would advocate for TTRS in that case. And so this now becomes a change in mission profile, which then drives the reason for change. Another one, reason for change, your unit evolves or devolves. And a lot of times this is an external factor and a lot of times it's not a happy place to be. Um, early 2000s, due to budget, we had confined space rescue removed from the fire service for about a year. And then it was brought back in, but we certainly devolved. There was a change that was required. We no longer needed this confined space rescue equipment. We no longer needed the training and there. We need, no longer needed certain guidelines and procedures. So that devolving of the team required a change. When it was brought back and then when they brought back trench and or brought in trench and, you know, some heavy jaws, that also now required a change. Like I said, a transformational change in that the unit is now evolved and has received more taskings and you know whatnot it could also be a mission profile change depending on how you look at it for that another reason for change you're not getting the desired results or you find performance gaps so you go out and you do a challenge scenario with all of your crews and you find out that you know your backup hall isn't training at all they're not backing you up at, at all for these things so then there's gonna have to be a change in the way that that occurs or you find that you do in search and rescue some mutual aid training and that that team uses completely different you know rope rescue gear than you do or mountain rescue equipment than you do and now you're going to have to figure out how are we going to change in order to do this mutual aid work so there is a performance gap or the, the desired result and it could also just be that your people aren't performing up to standard and when you do the audit as to why we're not getting that you know, there is something in there that requires change, whether it be we're not training enough, we're not training on the right equipment, we're not training with the right people, we don't have, you know, the right instructional staff, whatnot. Change is required. Another reason for change, resource allotment, <laughs> easy for me to say, resource allotment changes, budget. And that's basically what that comes down for, or 
you know, you amalgamate with another SAR team, you amalgamate with another fire department, and then they decide that, you know, ABC fire department over there is now going to do rescue and you're going to do has, or you do, a, you know, you amalgamate or take over another SAR region for whatever reason. And you, they decide, you know, ABC mountain is going to do rescue and you're going to do swift water or whatever that change gets put upon you. And that's another reason for change. There's a, you know, resource change there. The other one, of course, being money. They run out of money. They don't see value in that because it's a low frequency type of event. And they go, yep, skip it. We're knocking it off. Another reason for change. Crisis. <laughs> Happens a lot. We're getting flooding here in BC as I speak. Um, highways are closed. I've been deployed both with SAR and with fire for flooding issues. And there's going to be after action reviews done of these, of things that didn't go particularly well. I mean, if every crisis we respond to, something occurs and that is going to mandate change. It's going to mandate change from a political level. It's going to mandate change from an end user mandating that change. It's going to mandate change within your organization. Hey, we should have done X or Y better. Um, it can be little changes. It doesn't have to be off the rails. I mean, we had some dry suits leak. Some people got some water inside their suits. But of course, this water is now contaminated with everything in their dog. Do we have a decom procedure? Well, that's something we now need to look at because it hasn't come up much before. So, you know, other teams will be like, I do that every day because I dive in, you know, the Hudson River. Other teams are like, hey, I'm used to swimming in water you can drink out of. So it hasn't been a problem, but that's now going to push change. A couple more here. New technology. New technology. Remember in Rescue when we used to do changeovers? There's a bunch of people listening to this podcast, I bet, that are going... What's a changeover? That's back when we used to have devices that didn't go both ways. So like a rack and we would have to capture the load, do a load transfer, pick it up and put our MA in there and then start hauling, changing over from lower to raise, changeover. Now you just throw a three to one or a five to one on your existing system and just pull and the rope goes the other way through the device. That is a reason for change. We're going from something like a brake rack which is one directional to an MPD or an ID or a clutch or any new device on the market, which is bi-directional change. So new technology. Absolutely. Um, another reason for change reaction to external or internal pressures. I mean, this kind of goes closely with things like, um, resource allotment changes or crisis, but a lot of times with this, you get a new SAR manager, you get a new fire chief, you get a new level three, you get a new mine rescue captain. We've all been there and they're like, hey, I've been put into this position because they want us to be able to do X, Y, or Z and they felt the last person wasn't pushing hard enough in that direction. Those are difficult changes, absolutely, but it is a reason that change occurs is there is some sort of internal or external pressure within the organization to do so. Um, last but not least, merging of teams or resources. And I think I've spoken to that a little bit in which, um, you know, whether it be a formal merging or whether it be, you know, some sort of mutual aid agreement in which you've now combined forces with a partner organization and you've decided now that this is going to now 
create some sort of change. And whether that be you're not doing it or you have to change your systems to meet theirs or they have to change their systems to meet yours. Perfect example, there's a section of city in our neighboring department and due to road construction for a year, they can't get to their section of the city within the NFPA timeframe for first response. So they send a first alarm assignment there and we send a first alarm assignment there. We've now merged those teams and resources when we arrive on site. It's possible to have a different officer from a different department in charge of your attack team from a different department going in and doing stuff, which means we have to meet, we may have to change some of our procedures to ensure that we operate safely, to ensure the safety of our people. Otherwise, we end up with a safety concern, which is going to drive change from another point of view. So those are certainly, you know, just kind of 10 random reasons for change. And those are all reasons for change. And the reason I bring them up as these 10 different items is if you're in charge of your rescue team and you see one of these trying to push a new technology change as a safety change, it may have a safety component, but call it what it is. You know, go up, explain to the people that need to be explained to, hey, we need to change because of this new technology. And this new technology, not only is there a safety component, but, you know, there's other components to it in which we don't have to do things like, for instance, changeovers. What's that do? It allows us to access our patient quicker. So it's certainly safer for us. We have less moving parts, but it's also safer now and it allows quicker access to the patient. It allows us to put units back into service quicker. It allows these other things that aren't just a safety concern. It could be an in-service concern. It could be a patient concern. So call change what it is. And when you write it up to try to invoke change within your organization, explain it for what it is. Now, the biggest issue with change is pretty much nobody likes it. Nobody likes change. It's, it's people like the status quo. It's just the way it is a lot of times. Even people that are fairly chaos oriented and say, hey, I know I love change, blah, blah, blah. They will always still shirk away from 100% change. So there's a couple of things here. You have to prepare the organization for the change. Hey, we're looking at going to clutches. We're looking at it for the following reasons. And then that's when you start looking at these words. Hey, this is going to be an adaptive change. It's a small change in order to evolve some work process and some strategies in rope rescue. Why are we doing the change? Well, safety of our members. It's an easier device to rig. It allows for ease and standardized training. It um, allows our unit to evolve a little bit. It makes sure that we don't end up with performance gaps when people are rigging the MPD incorrectly. It's some new technology. You know, we can go down all these roads. We explain to the organization why the change needs to be done. So we prepare them for that. We craft a vision. And part of that's what I just said. Hey, this is where we want to go. People want to know what the end state looks like. And it may take a couple of hops to get to that end state. You want to be transparent on the what and the why, but don't forget the how. Hey, this is what we're changing. This is why we're changing it. And this is how we're going to go about changing it. You know, hey, 
Clutches in Canada are like a thousand bucks a piece. We need a whack of them. We're going to do it over two budget years. We're going to put them on the rescue first and the secondary, the hall is going to run MPDs. And then after that, we'll make sure that we put clutches into the other hall once that next year end. But we will keep MPDs on the rescue until the change is complete in case we do get some cross movement of people. Explain the how. Maintain the momentum. Inspire the new skills and habits. Invest in the training. You get the new devices in. Hey, we're going to go to flu flu valves and the flux capacitors, you know, and maintain that momentum. Get people looking at them. Get the communication within your organization, however that may be. Roll that out so people see it. Maintain that momentum. <clears throat> Excuse me. And with COVID, if that momentum stalls for a particular reason, hey, I can't move stuff across the province of British Columbia because there isn't a highway that's open. Explain why it's stalled. Listen for the feedback and keep learning, i.e. change course if required. Hey, we put these new flu-flu valves into production here or into uh, service and no one can figure them out. Or, hey, we went to this new rope and it, it, it balls up. It does whatever. It, you know, it's not good. If the change isn't going to work, bite your, you know, ego and change course if required. The worst thing to do is have a legitimate need for change make the wrong change for whatever reason, and then decide that, hey, the, the mission to change has now become the mission as opposed to the change itself. And I'm so focused on trying to drive the change, I missed the entire reason why we were changing to begin with. And I become focused just on the change management portion of it. And that's wrong too. People will see right through that and walk away. Make sure you have incremental goals to ensure the path is correct. That helps you you know, keep the vision. It helps you keep maintaining interest in the change. People go, ah, next month, this is supposed to be happening. And it also helps you if it's the change is wrong for whatever reason, reset and shift gears. So incremental goals. Remember, the process is dynamic. You need to follow up to ensure the change occurs and reward, recognize, and celebrate the successes once they occur. So at the end of the day, to sum it all up, change for the sake of change is not really a great idea. Change for one of the 10 reasons we discussed here, absolutely. And you're going to have to champion that. Someone has to go through and champion that change. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. Hopefully I answered the initial question. We just spent 38 minutes talking about change and change management. But those are kind of the reasons we would look at doing change in our particular service. Thanks for listening and we'll chat again.